what I'll say. Safaricom, in my definition, is a big data company. Why? Because Safaricom has consistently been collecting tons of information and storing it very, very well for a very long time. Welcome back to episode two of the Dependent Variable Podcast where we bring you up to speed on what's going on in and around data science in Kenya, Africa, and the world at large. This episode is brought to you by Nestmetrics, an AI company helping insurance companies detect fraudulent claims and maximize customer retention by predicting churn. You can check them out on www.nestmetric.com. I am your host, Catherine Gitao. In this episode, my fellow co-hosts, Victor Mochengo, Anthony Uziambo, and I will be speaking with Nicolas Luki, a software engineer and English scientist at Safaricom Alpha, with over 10 years of experience building and deploying software systems in the telecommunications and finance industry across Africa. We'll be talking about his journey into data science, as well as how Safaricom is able to leverage big data and build data products for the Kenyan market and much more. Nicholas, okay, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us here today. Glad to be here. Um, you want to make a disclaimer first? Absolutely, absolutely. My full name is Nicholas Loki Mwenga, um, and I work for Safaricom, um, uh, specifically Safaricom Alpha. Uh, which is Safaricom's innovation hub, and uh, the thoughts I'm about to share are my own. They do not in any way reflect uh, my opinions as an employee of Safaricom. So that's a disclaimer. (laughs) Okay, awesome, awesome. So uh, what do you do at Safaricom? All right, so um, good question. I have an interesting title um, because it kind of doesn't exactly 100% 100% relate with what I do. So my title is I am a senior software engineer, okay. but what I try to do every day um, at my job is to do data science. Okay, interesting. So um, what does that involve, data science and the senior software engineer, how do they even blend? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Um, okay, maybe I could also start with looking uh, or rather talking about my background. So. Um, I've been a software engineer for a long time, like I'm talking about 15 or 16 years, right? So, uh, and in that uh, journey um, in my career, I mean, I've done software engineering from different aspects, you know, from everything to uh, like web design, web development, I've done front end, back end, I've done, you know, integration, I've done so many different things within that sort of space um yeah so so and and i mean i i thank god for that opportunity so i think that also sort of feeds into my title which is senior software engineer but then uh i will also say that right now my interest is in the area of data science how how did that come about you know from moving from someone <laughs> who is you know you say building websites Correct. and market you know those things there guys are like you can drag this and drag that <laughs> <laughs> to now here where you're you know dealing with data as a co-product. Yes. Uh-huh. How did that how did we evolve? How did that journey go? Um so so it started uh, I think for me my journey in tech started with uh, my choice for uh, my undergraduate degree, which okay. was IT. Um, I was uh, believe it or not, in the first IT class in Kenya. Like before nice. that IT class, <laughs> there was no IT. There was just computer yeah. science and maths and computer science, and then there was IT. So uh, I was literally in the first class. This was in JQuat um, between 2000 2003. Uh, and of course, um, semester one, um, I get introduced to programming through C. Okay. Uh, and for me, it was more like um, it just clicked software programming software engineering all of that it just clicked um and so that's why i started with c and of course moved on to other languages but also uh something else i'll say about the degree program back then was that uh, i think because it was so new uh the people developing the curriculum were not really sure exactly what this thing should do yeah because it was such a new uh, degree but what I remember back then was that the course, uh, the entire degree was software engineering heavy. Yeah, so a lot of courses on not just software uh, programming, right, but also software engineering. So that sort of 
um, helped me grow in terms of what it is I wanted to do. Um, and so when I finished that, I then, you know, entered the job market and then, you know, uh, young man hustling, struggling. So you take whatever roles are around. Funny enough, I'll say between 2003 and 2007 is when I got my first real programming job. In Kenya at that time, there weren't that many people doing programming. Like there weren't that many companies even aware of what it's supposed to do for them. Okay. So, of course, I, I talked to the big companies back then, your three mice.savvy, I think came up a bit later, sawasawa.com. Uh, still couldn't get anything. But anyway, I just I did my own thing. I did websites for guys, I did web apps, I grew up, you know, I grew in my um, career that way. 2007, I joined Cellulant, started doing back end stuff, you know, vast services. Um, uh, moved on, uh, worked for Safari Common Project at some point. Uh, then around 2010, I left the country, so I went to work out of the country. Uh, I was in West Africa, Nigeria, for another five years after that. So again, still building systems, uh, working in different sectors, telecoms, finance, um, I don't know, insurance. Yeah, so lots of different sectors. So that was quite interesting. But then somewhere along the way, I think I felt, you know what, I need to uh, take a bit of a break, uh, go back to school. And uh, for me, my plan was to do a degree in software engineering, like a master's degree in software engineering, yeah? Because I wanted to sort of like perfect my craft, one. Two, I wanted to learn what new things are out there that I still don't know. So that was my thinking. And so that led me to 2016 to 2017, um, you know, uh, pursuing a master's degree in software engineering. Uh, in the UK and when I was there, so it was quite interesting, when I was there my first semester, um, I remember it clearly, it was quite weird because, so you come in uh, and, okay, so I was fortunate to go to a good school, right? Um, and, and that school in the UK is considered to have the top computer science program, right? So I'm thinking, I mean these guys, you know, they're rated higher than Oxford and Cambridge when it comes to computer science, so I'm thinking, this is awesome. Also, they have a reputation for good teaching university, the you know, best teaching in the UK. I'm like, awesome. I'm going to go and get a good education. Then, uh, so this is University of St. Andrews. Uh, it's based in Scotland. Um, and so this is the funny thing. So semester one, I come in, and at the end of the semester, I'm like, the entire semester, I've been doing the exact same things I was doing when I was doing my undergrad, yeah, and this is 15 years ago, so I'm like, this, this is not making sense, like, how can I, 15 years, or whatever it is, years later, come to school and do the exact, so I did Java, I did uh, software engineering principles, you know, you remember your uh, use cases and stuff like that, like, yeah. you know, software deck, so... I was like, okay, this is not making sense because most of the time, I was just bored. I used to go to class and just ask questions because I was bored. <laughs> this Java, can Java do this thing? And I know it can't. I was just bored. But anyway, um, so it was a bit, it was a bit disappointing for me. And so semester two, uh, I decided to now uh, pick a set of uh, modules that I was going to do that would give me, that would stretch me, give me experience in different areas. So. At that point in time, I don't know how it happened, but every single course I picked took me in the direction of data science. Yeah, so that's where my journey started. So um, tough semester for me as well. So this was in two thousand and seven. Data science was a thing in in, uh, in the UK. No, no, no. Uh, this was twenty seventeen. So this is just actually oh, okay. last year, okay. pretty much last year, okay. beginning of last year. So that's when okay. I started. Um, yep. Yeah. So I did, I, did, uh, I did these modules and they got me really interested. Uh, I mean, they were tough because I was like, this was something brand new. I'd never seen, I'd never heard uh, lots of math, lots of stats, you know. And, and so it was, uh, it was quite interesting. But I think for me, by the end of that semester, I was hooked. I was like, this is the future. This is where I want to go. You know, I'm going to pay the price. I'm going to get there. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, so is it safe to say, you know, like you figured out uh, why you found yourself in tech after 15 years? Um, yeah, I, I, think, I think for me, even getting into tech, like uh, I told you I was in the first IT class, right? So I remember even before I applied for that course, I remember looking for different courses okay. to do. 
uh, I mean, it's it's the same journey you would imagine for anyone. You finish high school, you have that a small period before you go to uni, you yes. look at different things. Yes. IT was not what I thought I was going to do. In your packages. <laughs> yeah, you know. No, no, you know, what's even more interesting, I don't even think we had packages back then because we were talking about 1999. Wow. So, so, so these things came after IT, the IT degree came out, and then Jake was doing this whole outsourcing thing where they have satellite colleges, and then our people woke up to that. But anyway, um, when I was told that there was an IT degree, I remember the person who told me, who was my older sister, I remember telling her there's nothing like that. So all I know is this computer science and I didn't cut, you know, like cut the grades to get to do computer science. I was like, no, no, that thing doesn't exist. But she was like, no, you don't worry. Let's just go check it out. And we checked okay. it out and we saw it. And I looked at it and I was like, I think this is it. Okay. But then um, the reason why I'm saying that is because now I, I thought this was it, but still I wasn't sure. But like I'm saying after semester one, just being introduced to C programming. I was like, yeah, was this so is good. it. <laughs> yeah, I was and, and I've never looked back. For me, I've, I've, I've enjoyed the ride. It's been great. Um, and I'm looking forward to what comes next. So let me take it back just a little bit. So you said when you were starting out, I mean, um, was, this was impractical. Uh, the fact that there are very few IT practitioners. So, say for example, my mom was uh, those people who did uh, tech with punch cards. <laughs> <laughs> what? Okay. And uh, like growing up, I mean, obviously, every once in a while we got exposed to you know tech gadgets, and, but she never encouraged us to you know take the, the tech part because ideally during those years, nineties, yeah. If you did uh, a tech course, you just end up being either someone who works in the back room, yes, punching those cards, or be a teacher to other people, maybe in companies who you know who are transitioning and trying to figure out how Microsoft Word works, ninety five works. Correct. So how was it like seeing that you know you are not becoming an engineer or a doctor? Was it really hard for people to absorb? Um, it was tough. Like for me, I'll say I'll, I'll put it this way. I'll, I'll talk from my experience. Uh, the the bit from when I finished um, my undergrad to the bit where, like I said, I feel I got my first real programming job, which was two or seven with Celluland. That bit there was quite tough because um, there I was with this dream and this desire to build software and change the world through software. Um, and the, just the opportunities weren't there. And, and the few companies that had them, um, you know, it wasn't that easy to get a position. You know, they were full up. Yeah. Okay. So it was, it was quite a challenge. And, and during that time, I mean, I took a bunch of different roles, right? You know, you're hustling. I remember at some point I was a stockbroker. I was selling, <laughs> I was selling shares. Uh, I was selling shares for the Kenjin IPO. I remember that was two or six. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was the first big one. And then people really sort of caught on to yeah. stocks and NSC and, you know, all of that. So I remember doing that. I remember working even in a bank as a clerk. Wow. Yeah. And I remember I used to sit somewhere and just ask myself, you know, like, where, where is my life heading? Because <laughs> I'm not coding and I'm so frustrated no, about that. decided not to be a doctor. You know, <laughs> you know? But, but still, I, I, I still felt like there, there, was, there was something for me, to, there was still something for me to do. There was still more for me to achieve. Okay. Right? Um, and so I was grateful when I got my first, my first big break and after that, Never look back. Yeah. It's really encouraging to know that you know, you know, if you just keep at it, yes, it eventually works out. Or rather, the forces of the world <laughs> come together and decide, okay, and align. So, um, we've been battling with something here. We've always had a back and forth discussion about this. Yes. Um, I don't know if you've ever decided to try and define artificial intelligence, big data, machine learning. <laughs> if you've ever tried to split them apart and make meaning of what they truly are. What they truly are. Yeah. Um, so, so funny, funny story. First of all, um, Catherine, right? Yeah. Catherine mentioned uh, that we had met previously at a meetup group for Nairobi Women uh, in Machine Learning and Data Science where I was doing a presentation. Yes on just data science as a whole. Yeah. So during that time, I, I did go through that process where I looked into it. Like what is machine learning, what is big data, what is AI, and I tried yeah. to define it. But what I wanted to say, uh, which I find quite funny was uh, just yesterday, yesterday morning uh, in the office. So um, 
we have some two interns um, who joined not too long ago. And so they joined in as sort of like data scientists, right? Okay. So the data science track. And I've been trying to sort of bring them up. Yeah. Okay. So, so nice. teach them, nice. blah, blah, blah. So yesterday, uh, I was literally with a whiteboard and a marker. <laughs> and, and the first thing I wrote, because now like um, we've done, we've looked at like programming and statistical sort of analysis of data. So now at this point in time, we're looking at machine learning. So the first thing I wrote was machine learning and question, question. And then versus AI, question, question. And I remember asking uh, the interns, you know, like, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so let's just say it's, it's a question worth exploring. Yeah. Okay. So uh, for me, um, ML uh, or machine learning uh, in full, I would describe it as uh, the idea of having machines learn on their own from data, right? So uh, traditionally, you would say the interaction between man and computer has been that uh, man gives instructions to computers, right? Okay. And says one plus one is equals to two. And then the next time he comes back and issues the same instruction, one plus one, he expects the computer to give him the same answer, which is two. So in that sort of setup, you know, the instructions are pre-recorded. You know, they're given to the computer and therefore you expect that the computer system will always behave in a certain way. Yeah. But now with machine learning, what you're saying is that computers have the ability to learn, right? With... Um, uh, of course, some assistance from a human being, right? But the things that the computer then learns and infers are actually of its own making, yeah? Based on whatever maybe uh, algorithm that you, uh, you know, machine learning algorithm or model that you have. Yeah. yeah, so that kind of thing. So that's that's what you're looking at. You're having machines going that extra step, yeah? Learning on their own using data. With AI, um, so, so can I also say this? Some people will say, uh, machine learning is part of AI. Yeah. AI yeah. is part of machine learning. I think I'm, I'm a school of thought. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so, 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 and I'll give I'll give my answer at the end. But anyway, what I think AI is AI is taking machine learning a step further and saying um, human. So, so there are certain tasks, right? Even even with the idea that you can program a computer to give you a particular output, right? There are still certain tasks where human beings traditionally have been better at doing yeah. the machines. Yeah. Yeah? So take, for example, recognizing someone's face when you, when you see them, um, recognizing someone's voice when you hear it. So computers have not been known to be very good at that, right? But with uh, sort of recent advances in AI, computers have come a long way. And right now, if you look at the state of the craft as it is, um, computers are way, way better at, for example, recognizing images than human beings ever will be, right? Like we've, we've passed that threshold, um, you know, recognizing voices, being able to understand language, being able to maybe translate from one language to another, yeah. uh, being able to learn from a set of rules, right? And keep on learning on their own until they get to a point where they can actually make quote-unquote sort of decisions within a particular context. Okay. So that's where AI comes in. Yeah, The whole idea of uh, it's sort of like you're automating certain human functions okay. and you are making the computer do them even better than a human being. So can we say AI is more of a data product? That's a good question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, I think you need to define what data products are. Um, for me, I'd say data products are products that are driven by data, right? That rely on data, that generate data and use that data to improve themselves. That's how I would look at data products. Now, AI comes into play, can come into play uh, with, with such a product, and a lot of them do. Uh, so take a good example, uh, Google Maps, right? So Google Maps is, uh, as someone put it, um, one of those apps that is so good that it becomes boring you know <laughs> like it's it's engineered so well okay. that it just fits into your life that you never look at it and go like how did they do that yeah. you know yeah. like, like how do they know there's a street here like you know how oh, do they actually so exactly so do you think google actually came and, and mapped out the streets in kenya 
To some degree they did, maybe, but mostly it's satellite, yeah? Yeah. satellite imagery. Then again, Google uh, Maps giving you directions. Yeah? I'm telling you, if you drive down this road to this place, it's going to take you this long. If you use this other route, it's going to take you this long. There's traffic in a certain area. I mean, that's really a ton of data, a ton of machine learning, a ton of computing prowess, I mean, engineering to the max. But you know, when you look at it, you're like, ah, this is just Google Maps. You know? yeah. <laughs> so, so it's amazing. That's the most fascinating part about Maps, Google Maps. It's the traffic updates. That I can just go and say, I just want to know the traffic here, how yes. it looks like. So I remember where I used to work before. Uh, I would show my coworkers, hey, you know, this route where we're going, uh, there's traffic ahead. And I'd be like, no, that thing doesn't work. <laughs> you get there. I get there, it actually works. It's accurate. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. So thank you so much for at least now we have some sort of footing around uh, how to differentiate these two things or, or rather these many technologies. Correct. Sorry, I don't know if I talked about big data. Um, yeah, that's what I wanted to ask. Okay, sure. So um, because we want to understand uh, big data in the sense that last in our last episode, me and Kate had differing opinions on it. Okay. I I think uh, big data is about. Um, more about unstructured data becoming yes. relevant. Yes. And she said it's pretty much uh, the well, emphasis yeah. is on the volume of the quantity. So I don't know Correct. what are your thoughts on that. Um, of course, if you're if you're gonna talk about big data, there's always the three V's, right? Okay. Uh, that are used to define big data. Yeah. Yes. So volume, uh, velocity, and variety. Yes. Is it? So for me, I think those three V's to a large extent encompass what I consider to be big data. Um, the idea being here that you have tons of data from tons of different sources in tons of different formats, okay. and you being able to capture that data, store it, you know, manage it, and make it useful, right? Okay. Um, and and that's, that's how I, I would look at big data because, um, and, and there are some people who have sort of come up with a more simplified explanation where uh, people will say, for example, big data is data that can't fit in your laptop. You know, if it can't fit in your laptop, <laughs> or if it can't fit on a spreadsheet, then it's okay, big data. It's big data. But, but that one, for me, I think it's just sort of like nitpicking. Like it's yeah. just, yeah. But I think when you look at all these different aspects and put them together, like in a, in a context, then you're talking about big data. Okay. Yeah. So, and, and, and how do you guys use big data at work and how, how does that play a role in what you do on a daily basis? So, let's just start. Is oh. the Panicum a big data company? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good question. Good question. Okay, so, uh, you know, this is where now I have to be very careful uh, about the things I speak about. But this is what I'll say Safaricom, uh, in my definition, is a big data company. Why? Because Safaricom has consistently been collecting tons of information and storing it very, very well for a very long time. So Safaricom, if you ask me, has uh, one of the largest data sets, um, not just in Kenya, I think, even in East and maybe East Central Africa, maybe even South Africa, because we're talking about petabytes of data. Yeah? So they have this, this data stored somewhere. Now, uh, like I mentioned before, I work for Safaricom Alpha, uh, the sort of like innovation hub okay. for Safaricom and uh, part of our initiatives right now is to explore the use of big data tools, right? right. To make this data a lot more useful, right? So the reason why I said big data tools is because, so we're looking at your traditional big data tools, the Hadoop ecosystem, right? Uh, and we've been looking at exploring different uh, offerings out there. Uh, the three major ones that are known are Cloudera, Hortonworks, and Mapar. Uh, I think recently I, I saw somewhere that Cloudera and Hortonworks are merging. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing because you know one of, one of them used to offer a free version. So, so we're hoping that one won't go away. But yeah, so uh, that's something we're looking into right now. Uh, but beyond that, if you're looking at the, the essence or the purpose of big data is to enable you to be able to perform analytics and gain insights, right? Now, from that perspective, Safaricom as a company, just like any other company in this country that is worth its salt, has been managing its data using 
some very expensive databases that shall not be named, uh, and, and performing analytics, you know, okay. analytics and, and gaining insights and making decisions using using that information. Yeah. Okay, awesome, awesome. So, like, uh, I think Safaricom has morphed. It's a company that has morphed to become. Uh, this is something I, a term I realized I came to know about just the other day. I was listening to uh, Harvard Business Review podcast, and it's like a new term, an architecture company. Yes. Because um, it's become such a huge company, uh, it becomes too boring, and then all of a sudden people don't realize how much influence it has and Correct. how it's ingrained in every part of our life. Absolutely. Similar to how you know Facebook became the architecture company for digital media and advertising, Correct. you know, close our whole farmer's choice Correct. for meat. <laughs> no yeah. one thinks about that, but farmers, everything farmers choice does for meat, everyone follows. Oh, yes. So that's what Safaricom you know, has become in telcoms. Yes. Um, yesterday I was trying to find a new line to buy and it sort of hit me, Safaricom is the only telecom that doesn't hook SIM cards. Yeah. You look for them yourself. Right. <laughs> right. Right. So that Correct. is true. If you come on a architecture company, design is the ecosystem Correct. and where we're going next. So um, what is your approach on like data science and do you is the, is the approach where data science is ingrained and you know data science teams are embedded in other teams? For example, does the MPESA team work directly with the with team alpha, team alpha or the voice <laughs> voice team works with you know team alpha? <laughs> <laughs> okay, again, disclaimer, I must be careful what I say. Um so so this is it. Um I think I think data science is uh, it's not just a buzzword right now. Um, in the, in sort of like the global tech sector, uh, but even in Kenya, like data science, the term itself, what it means and what it implies, has really hit home. Um, and I think uh, most companies that are keen on where the future is are now looking into it, right? Uh, albeit a bit slowly, I would say. For me, for my liking, I would like it to move a bit faster. I like. Uh, to see tech CEOs, CIOs, those, those sort of people like really wake up to it and, and start investing. But coming back to Safaricom, so first and foremost, Safaricom is a mega company. It's, it's really huge. Yes. Um, and there's a lot of people doing a lot of interesting things in a lot of different places, right? So that's the first thing I want to say. Second thing I want to say is um, Safaricom Alpha has been tasked with um, ensuring data science is applied right okay. across across the business, and so the way uh, sort of we're looking at it is, uh, of course, build capacity because the truth is in Kenya today there isn't that much data science capacity. Right, so we are building capacity, uh, and even as we build capacity, we are also working with different departments trying to solve their problems. Okay. Right. Uh, on sort of like a case-by-case -case basis. What I would say is, ultimately, what any business should want is for data scientists to be like your tech guy, you know? Uh, yes. You know, like the IT guy, the guy who comes to fix the printers? Yes. So that guy, you can, yes, you can create like one big department called IT department and put him there. Yes. Uh, or you can just keep him uh, in each department. Yeah, yeah, so like in each division, if you have a large organization, so you have your tech guy there and you have your, you know, and this guy comes and pulls cables and stuff. So I would say that's how any company should look at it. Like at any department, be it finance, be it HR, be it, like there should be a data science guy there who works there on a day-to-day -day trying to solve their problems, right? Um, and, and so I think for us, it's a journey, uh, if I can put it that way, and, and it's going to take some time. Uh, but the value that data science provides, I think so far I've seen a couple of examples and um, it's been interesting, you know, trying to solve uh, common problems that are even known to the public, you know, using data science. And we still look at it that way. But I also wanted to add something else. So I specifically in Alpha work for the products team, right? Uh, and the products team... Uh, is tasked with, of course, building new products, right? Okay. For Safaricom. Ideally, yeah. we want to build the next Mpesa. Yeah. Quote, unquote. Um, but now, as I work there, as a data scientist, uh, I every day look at ways of applying data science within that context, right? 
So uh, for the products we're building, like how can we apply data science from uh, the perspective of, um, so, so if you look at the, the process or the steps of building a new product, right? So you'd have an idea, uh, you would then maybe do some kind of design session, right? Around that or, or brainstorm session, right? To form up the idea. Then maybe come up, do like a product design session, right? To look at, okay, so this is how we think it would work. Then even within that space there, uh, and the space and, and the step that comes after, which is now, let's say, when you go out to the market to investigate, will this idea work? Yeah. You know, we apply data science there. Yeah. So for from a research perspective, right? We try and make sure the data science is applied. Then after that, after you've investigated, after you've applied your data science and looked at um, you know, if the idea is viable or not, you know, from even an A-B testing perspective, for example. And you then ideally should be able to make data-driven decisions, right? And, and for me, I, I, I like that word uh, because I think it is very misunderstood. So I like, I like it. It's quite controversial. So then, yeah, so then you then make your decision, right? Based okay. on the data that you have, you then go ahead and develop the product further, right? So maybe from a UI UX perspective, you come up with your wireframes, uh, you have your designers give you a high fidelity designs, you send that uh, together with a description of the product to your developers, they develop that, uh, you send it to QA, they test it, you send it to the DevOps, they deploy it, um, and then you have your product out there, right? And even along the way, right? So from the point of development, right? We also look at it um, in a data science perspective in terms of what data should we be collecting? Okay. And how can we ensure that that data, we can then, like we're collecting the right data as much as possible. We try to think ahead and try and say, look, we think we might need X, Y, Z, so let's start collecting it right now, right? So that means, again, that data is coming in, the data needs to be stored, to be managed, right? And even when the product goes out, we continue using this data, yeah? So we do our analytics, try to understand, for example, customer behavior. So like right now, um, we do a lot of mobile tracking, mobile app tracking, so we track events, we track actions, we track heat maps, like where on the screen are you pressing, you know, all of that just to help us understand exactly what users are doing on the app. So again, as you can see now, it's data science being applied within a context. So products from research to, um, you know, your UI, UX, to data-driven decisions, to products being built, to data being collected, to analytics, to, you know, further under, you know, um, analytics to understand, you know, what, what users are doing. And then ultimately, uh, for us, where we want to get to is a point where we can then uh, take that information yeah. and make it a data product, right? So that now we can build a, a product um, that enhances either the user experience, right? Uh, or even specific, um, how would I say, like specific needs of the user yeah. right um using using machine learning so there's a lot of co-creation in in everything that you do absolutely that's a very excellent approach to data driven <laughs> yes yes data driven <laughs> okay so sure. I, mean, I mean i don't think you needed a disclaimer there because i remember those um as a podcast i was listening to and bob colimo was a guest yes. and he made it very clear that Firecom has intentions to go big on data science. Absolutely. There was no hidden uh, words there. He just said, you know what? This is like thing that the young kids are doing and they're going to and we're going big on it. Correct. And what fascinates me more about the company is not just the position it's in, but the yes. fact that you proactively think about uh, yeah, so someone who's 18 years to 18 years old today may not be a high value customer, mm -hmm. but Five years from now, they may be, or ten years, they definitely will be, and so it's about you know keeping them in the loop. Correct. And that's why we have Blaze, right? Yes. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> nice. So um, we will we will not have done justice if we don't talk about Bonga. Aha. And uh, <laughs> the the marketing now deep Mpesa integration. That one. <laughs> so um um how what was the thought process behind Bonga and how how well is it doing right now? Okay, um, so uh, Bonga, the idea of Bonga and the product itself, 
apparently started before I joined, right? Oh, yeah. But uh, somewhere along the way, of course, I, I got to hear uh, about the journey. So um, I think it started some time back, uh, 2017 thereabouts. Uh, probably started with Kamal, right? Uh, yeah. Our former CIO at Alpha. Um, you know, he had this idea uh, for something great, which was uh, the idea of combining social interactions with money, yeah. right? Yeah, sure. uh, and if you think about it, in our day-to-day lives, that's what happens, and that's how even business happens. Yeah. So business is we are talking. There is something either a product or service or something we need to exchange, and then they, you know, money, money is exchanged, um, okay. uh, you know, um, to pay for that thing. So it started with him, and I think he then went out and tried to gather people who he felt he could work with and who could help him achieve that vision. And then those people sort of gathered more people, and it kind of went on, on and on and on, and hence the team was built. So uh, Bonga, I think, was envisioned to be just what I said, you know, the idea of there are social interactions, it's like you're trying to capture social interactions within the Kenyan context, African context, because the app and the idea behind it is not just a Kenyan thing, right? And that's something we we try, okay, we sort of pride ourselves on, but also we try to ensure we apply in a very practical sense, yeah? So how do, um, in the developing world, how do we see those things working? Right? So uh, we fleshed out the idea, we did our research, uh, interestingly from the data we had and we also did field research, right? Um, and it sort of validated our ideas, yeah? To some degree we were like, okay, I think we're onto something, right? So we went ahead and we built it. Uh, initially we did a soft launch within the company, um, just just to sort of test it out, see, see what people think about it. Uh, we got good reviews, right? Uh, and also something else quite amazing, we got a ton of feedback. I was, I was quite impressed by Kenyans. Kenyans generally, we give feedback, you know, uh, which, which is really awesome. And, and even negative feedback is feedback. Yeah. And, you know, so, so that's how we look at it. But anyway, we got a ton of feedback and um, we of course created a feedback loop whereby that feedback, um, is then used to improve the product. So there are, there are actually a ton of features that have come up that we didn't think of ourselves. It was the end user who actually played around with it and said, hey, look, why don't you add this? Yeah. And so it's worked out. Um, so after that, we then did a bit of a soft launch okay. uh, to the public. Um, and I remember, so, so this data science question then comes in again. I remember us having that conversation in the office. So we have this uh, boardroom, yeah? And we had everyone there and data scientists and product managers and coders and partnerships guys, everyone was there and now we're asking ourselves, so we need to launch this product, we need to launch it in a smart way, how are we going to do it, right? So I remember during that meeting, um, so, so think about it, you want to launch a product, right? And um, you want to ask yourself, how can you launch it in such a way that uh, you will not need to do that much more marketing after it's launched, right? So a number of ways people look at that is they say, look, I'm going to ask myself who are either influencers or fast adapters and try and get the product to them so that they can then, you know, play around with it, break it. If they like it, tell other people about it because these people have some special touch, right? Yeah, yeah. Some special either network um, you know, around them or influence in society, etc. So um, that was an int- so that was a pr- that was a problem we needed to solve, right? So we looked at our data, blah blah blah. You know, so somewhere along the way, someone's like, okay, when we look at Mpesa, so Mpesa and the networks around Mpesa, and then someone said, so take for example, uh, I'm a Safaricom customer, right? Yes. Uh, I live somewhere in Nairobi, and every day. Going to work, instead of taking mats, I take Ubers, right? Yes. So I go to work with an Uber, I come back home with an Uber. Then, because I'm still single, I order out quite a lot, yes. right? Um, and also everywhere I go, I, I pay by Impesa. So if you look at my network, it kind of looks like I have a ton of connections, right? Yes. To different people, yes. not just one person, different people. But then if you think about it also, I don't have any interpersonal relationships with these people. 
right? So they're just people I meet in the way of living my life. So how can I influence them? Okay. You get so those are interesting questions we are asking ourselves. Um, but finally, uh, and this is quite interesting. So the head, the lead data scientist at that time, uh, some some guy called Michael Berber. Yes, Michael, we miss you. You left us. Uh, Michael, Michael, Michael is. Uh, allow me to say this. He is actually an Oxford PhD, right? In physics and chem, right? So this dude, if you're talking data science, like he's a thought leader, right? So Michael comes and just says, look guys, no, you can't do any of those things you're saying you want to do. You can't do them. The only way to do this and do this properly is to get a random subset of people, right? And from that random subset of people, try and infer all these other things you want to do, right? Because okay. at that point in time, you're not biasing whatever decisions you're making, you know, and that takes you back to data-driven decisions, yeah. right? Because I remember even at some point, someone had said, hey, look, but then on WhatsApp, everyone uses uh, groups. So most people spend more of their time on groups than on one-on-one -on -one chats. Yeah. Uh, but that may be true within a context. It may be true maybe within the office context because we, we all create work groups where we are always chatting. But that doesn't mean that's the average Kenyan. There's probably a ton of other people out there who don't do groups as much as you know one-on-one, -on -one, you know, person-to-person. So at the end of the day, we scrapped everything and we said, look, we're going to go with a random sample. And what that meant for us is that we had a deadline um, and we had a number of slots to beat. And everyone was calling their families and their uncles and their auntie's <laughs> grandmother, you know, to, to, to bring people on board. Um, sorry, I know I, I went a bit off track. But anyway, the point is, um, that's how we sort of selected the initial, the initial okay. subset of people. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so I... I... I was among the first people who, you know, tried Bonga cool. and requested, you know, a few shillings from a few friends and uh -huh. they refused to send me. Yes. Needless <laughs> <laughs> to say. I sent you the <laughs> But anyway, there's, there seems to be like a lot of competition. I can already, yes. uh, you know, like tell you two very strong contenders who I feel. Correct. You know, WhatsApp already has WhatsApp Pay. Yes. So, of course, um, it's been, uh, they've learned a lot, especially from, you know, places like India. Correct. Peter significantly well Correct. and then there's another service i think from nigeria called kudi.ai all right they offer something of a similar nature but that one is sort of like a patch on top of your social media so correct if you're a, if you're a business you can use kudi to request for payment using messenger correct. or you know dms and stuff like that so you know um how considering you know especially with mpesa we we are really concerned about the expenses. Correct. Uh, it keeps going up for some weird reason. Yep. Um, <laughs> I know it's not. So I, it's interesting. Sorry, I read something. I read the whole journey about Mbesa yes. and how it came to be. Yes. Um, and I, for once, I understand most of the costs are not driven by Safaricom. Yes. Um, it's by banks and government, of course. Correct. But um, needless to say. Um, we are now seeing, you know, even a point where we now have things like PesaLink. Yes. And you, you know, you are sure like banks are very cognizant of the financial situation and how you need to penetrate and localize everything Correct. Correct. to the bare minimum. So how do you think? How do you think? Um, you know, Bonga stands out. Okay. And how you? Okay. You know, um. So so, um. First thing I'll say is um. Let me ask you a, just a simple question. Yes. Like when you saw Bonga the first time, what was your reaction? It was a beautiful UI. Yes. So design issues first. Okay. <laughs> design issues. <laughs> beautiful to the eye. Correct. Functionality was easy and right. simple. Yes. But I, I didn't get a chance to use like the core functionality, the core components, ecosystem, yes. uh, making that very seamless. Yes. Because uh, one thing I found to be sort of a weakness, I don't know how you're going to do that, is a bridge. So like, for example, even if I was to send someone money through Bonga, it still yes. takes me back to uh, an SDK push or something. Okay. It, it still takes me back there. So I don't know, I don't it's know how... It's interesting you, you say that because it doesn't... Okay, maybe it's just me, but it doesn't work that way. But interesting. That's how it... That, that, it that, that's how it popped up to you. He told me I have to go back. He, he brought the, okay. the SSD prompt. Okay. And, uh, I have to, you know. Yeah. Okay. But, but when you saw the interface, what did it make you think of? Like what initially, what did it make you think of? Because a lot of people keep saying one word. Like when you see it the first time. Yeah? Sorry? Exactly. <laughs> Everyone looks at the interface and goes like, this is WhatsApp. Okay. So why is Safaricom trying to do WhatsApp? 
Okay. So I'm here to try and answer that question. Bonga is not what's up. Ah, okay. It, it, it's, we're not even competing. We're, we're, we're absolutely 0% trying to compete with what's up. So we see, and I think that will come out clearly in a bit, but we see Bonga as a platform, not an app, right? So it's a platform where communication can happen, business can happen, and payments can happen, right? So that's how we are looking at it. Um, and to sort of answer your question earlier um, a bit better, um, right now, Bonga is still in beta, to the small uh, sort of like close group we had yes. um, selected initially, that's about 2,000, 3,000 people, right? Uh, and the reason why we haven't moved forward is because we are trying to make sure we stabilize the platform as much as possible yes. before we now begin to release what we call the real features of Bonga, right? Okay. Um, uh, something else I'll say about Bonga, Bonga is end-to-end -end encrypted. Okay. We, we don't read your messages, we don't care about them, we don't want to see them. Uh, so you can be assured of that, right? Okay. Um, and that your, your PIN, especially if you're doing like an MPESA transaction, we sort of double, triple encrypt that. Yeah. So encrypt the pipe and encrypt the message and you know, it's all secure and all of that. Um, and, so, and so for us, we look at it this way. First of all, uh, get people to learn how to talk and do transactions, money transactions together. And then from there, try and capture other social interactions, right? Okay. Where money is involved, right? From anything from e-commerce, right? To um, things that Kenyans do quite a lot on WhatsApp. Stuff like, um, what do Kenyans do when, when someone passes away? Fundraise, yeah. Fundraise <laughs> you know. Yeah. When someone passes away, when, you know. We want to capture all of that. And we want to keep looking at other examples like that, you know, that are quite unique to either Africa or the developing world, right? And try and capture those and try and make them easy and straightforward, right? Okay, so that, that's something interesting you mentioned. So, um, because there's, uh, there's some guy I was talking to and he was talking about how, you know, like insurance and education in is really low, especially if you take away motor vehicle insurance. And one of the reasons that came out is because of our social fabric, yes. where we just, if someone passes in your family, we contribute. Correct. And so very few people see the loss of version uh, that necessitates you taking insurance when someone gets ill or dies or goes to school. Or, so that's a very, very interesting and, you know, pretty green area. <laughs> yes, green field, yeah? yes, to okay. be explored. <laughs> yeah, so are there any other products uh, from Spiracom that actively being used by people that are using the AI machine learning right now? Um, the one you mentioned, what's it called? Something voice? Oh, no. Voice is a password. Password yeah. is a voice. Yeah. 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 I think no. I think that specific one does. Uh, beyond that, um, I don't know if I've heard of any other. Um, yeah. I don't know if I've heard of, of, of any other. Um, yeah. That I can talk about. Okay. So let, let's let's just briefly talk about sure. the challenges that you guys have. Yes. You know, are facing us. In the telco, and yes. these are we feel are yes. candidates yes. for some data science intervention. Yes. <laughs> so um, let's talk about um, common issues, especially short code spamming. Yes. Yesterday I got a short code message that was from a certain pharmacy telling me, "Hey, Correct. so and so is no longer an employee of this company." Oh wow! <laughs> oh wow! Have you ever bought? <laughs> Anything from the pharmacy? No, I've never been to the pharmacy. Okay. Because a short code from 20556. Yes. I think so. So, and I've been getting continuously those. So, previously there was talk that, you know, you probably get spammed because you're visiting family sites. Correct. <laughs> but then again, the evolution has come and even now, even my grandmother gets them. Even Correct. my mom gets them. Correct. So, um, there's also... As Kenyans, kind of this dissociation yes. of uh, us and data. So yes. For example, I know there's so many possible ways spamming can happen. So, for example, we entered this building and we had to register our name and Correct. Our IDs Correct. and put our phone numbers Correct. there. Correct. But that piece of data that we leave there is personal to me, and that's Absolutely. sort of like a huge dissociation. Absolutely. But then again, the backstop is a variable sure. in how we handle, you guys handle this Correct. spamming. I don't know if. This is a huge challenge that 
<laughs> so, so you know, so you know, it's interesting. It's 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 actually a real challenge in the sense that it's a problem that users are facing. Yeah, subscribers are facing. It's something that inconveniences them, right? But okay. then again, you, you can also sort of think about the flip side. You know, every time an SMS goes out, Safaricom makes money. Yeah. Um. So so so, and I'm not speaking on behalf of Safaricom. I'm just saying, like, if you look yeah. at that argument on the okay. other side, yes. yeah, there's also that element. Um, on the other hand, um, I, I, I can't speak specifically for the business as a whole in terms of what they're doing to address that. Um, but I can think of simple solutions like just spam filters, you know, the concept okay. of email spam filters being applied, yes. right? Whereby, um, you know, you'd look at traffic going through yes. and you'd say if this message looks like spam, you know, you, you categorize it as spam, send the guy a message, stop spending, sending spam yes, messages, so, or something yes, of that yes, nature. Google actually released something yesterday where they're saying, um, with the new Pixel 3 phones, where they're saying, you know what, um, um, you can set uh, Google Assistant to pick calls that look like spam. Oh yeah, I saw that. <laughs> yeah, that was quite cool. And, they, and they, yeah, the assistant can tell that person, hey, correct. never call again, never call someone. Correct, saying, correct. Never do that. Is this something that you know? Um, okay, we have not gotten to that point. <laughs> <laughs> Even if yes. you look at it, Safaricom has from their Star 100 hash. Okay. You can blacklist number or short calls. Promotional messages. Uh, and just from simple analytics. Correct. Can we just, just go and look at that and say this number has been blacklisted by about 700,000 people? Correct. Let's just check it out of the market. Out of the market, uh, yeah. They'll come back again with different numbers. <laughs> then when they come back with a different number. Obviously. Probably yeah. even a different business name. Yeah. Who knows? But like I'm saying, it's it's then again also there's this whole element of like the size of the company. You know, it's it's so big that there's so much happening in so many different places that it's just it's mind blowing. You know, even okay. even even trying to solve the problem holistically is not a small undertaking. Okay. Yeah, I'm not saying we're not trying to do that. I'm yeah. just saying yeah. you can imagine it's quite a challenge. Okay, okay. okay. So I'm um, I'm really I think for me I'm I'm encouraged by the fact that you know Vericom is a company that. Reports its own fraud, uh, fraudulent employees. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's very encouraging. So I can rest easy knowing, okay, fine. This is a company that is probably concerned about this. Yeah, so um, let's, uh, let, let's just wind this down a bit. Um, where do you see the future of data science again going? So, um, like, for example, more specifically, do you think um, companies and schools are going to adapt you know, towards being more data science ready? Okay, let me put it this way. I wish I wish they would sooner rather than later, and I hope that they will eventually, right? Um, so, so if you're looking at data science, data science, I think as a term, uh, they say it was coined about, it's around eight years ago, around 2010 there. Yes. Uh, and data science is, as a field, is still developing, right? Yes. So there are many aspects to it. There are many things happening within data science that already had happened before. Okay. They were just sort of included. So for example, data analytics was already happening before data science was okay. coined, and it's now part of data science and so on and so forth. And even statistical analysis, machine learning, artificial intelligence, deep learning was also happening before. But then it's like it was sort of incorporated. So the field is still growing. Uh, and the reason why I want to point that out is because not just in Kenya, but even globally, there aren't that many universities that have managed to craft together a program, right? Uh, especially undergraduate program for data science. So a lot of unis out there will offer uh, masters or PhDs, right? Uh, and I think that's because the field is so growing. Now, I'm hoping in Kenya that, uh, you know, Ministry of Education, the new AI task force, whoever it is, will wake up to the fact that we need that. We need that degree program or master's program in data science and craft a proper uh, curriculum and, and get it out there, get people signing up and learning. Uh, but also one of the challenges I think they would face at this time would be qualified lecturers to take guys through that stuff, right? Because like I said, the field is so new. But uh, even if you're not looking at like, like at it from just a strictly academic uh, perspective, yeah. uh, there are also other things that can happen, right? So 
the local tech community can try and push you know the the field forward right so either through meetup groups um, or I don't know what else hackathons or conferences whatever it is right to to build up skills right and guilt and build up uh, the abilities of guys right uh, but also beyond that um, I, I still feel also that um, uh, the, the leaders in organizations so whether it's companies you know private businesses uh, education sector or even government guys really need I mean there's a there's a really huge need of exposure towards what data science really really is right to people at these levels these decision makers right because I, I feel as if uh, to some degree some people know about it okay. uh, and know that it's coming okay. and are saying Look, when I need it, I will invest in it. Some people are thinking, I need to start investing now. Uh, and even though they need to invest now, they're not really sure how to go about it. So sometimes, but they, and I'm, I'll say this in closing, I really, sometimes I'm scared about data science job adverts in Kenya. Yeah. Like you look at that <laughs> advert and you're like, I'm not touching this one. Because you look at it and you think, really, this person is, is not really sure what they're looking for. Yeah. And, and that's quite, it can be quite scary, especially if you end up in such a position and expectations are flying left, right, and center. Yeah. So um, what I'd say is this, and, and sorry, and finally what I'll say is, look, right now, it's not easy to find people with these skills. Okay. Uh, and so I would encourage any business, any organization, anyone, anywhere to begin to build those skills. Right? So... You can build up a data science uh, even without the formal education system. So you can go for online training and out there there's a ton of resources, right, that can help you learn. Of course, if you can find, um, together with that, if you can find someone who has some good experience, right, in data science and bring them and build a team around them, that would also really, really work well and help. So what I'd say is, look, um, you might not find the perfect person. You might have to start with some kind of hacked together solution, yeah. but start now. What I'd say for any business, start now. Start building those capabilities, those skills, those abilities now. Um, and even for us, I'll say Safaricom, as big as it is, that's what we're doing. We're building those capabilities now. Yeah. As so, well. uh, based on that, just like off the top of your head, what's a reasonable return on or turnaround time or return on investment? So, how long should we expect to build? Uh, a team like that, yeah, because uh, businesses will budget yes. on an annual basis, and Correct. you know you can't assume that they will invest for something for fifteen years. Correct. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. no, 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 yeah, a reasonable time frame. Yes. Uh, this is what I'd say. Um, look at it as a two to three year investment. Okay. Right. So that is in terms of building skills, building uh, abilities or, yeah. of your staff. Yeah. Building capabilities within the organization, so the tools and the environments to do all of this stuff, right? Okay. Uh, and not just that, and this is very important also, you also need to uh, make the business aware of what data science is and what it can do for them, right? So there's not just, so it's not just uh, the techies learning how to do what it is they need to do and applying that, but also the business needs to become aware of what it is this thing can do for them. Okay. And they need to also be brought in and be part of that process because data science is 100% a team sport. Okay. It's not an individual thing. It's not about getting a smart guy who can do <laughs> awesome algorithms and p-values and critical, and then it gives you, uh-uh, it's not about that. It's a team, it's a team sport. Okay, so um. Apart from what you're doing at uh, at Alpha, so what are the science projects out there are getting you excited? Um, good question. I find that my work takes quite a bit of takes up quite a bit of my time. Yeah. Um, full disclosure, I'm still a data science in training. I I am, by that I mean like I'm constantly learning. Yeah. Right. I'm constantly sure. challenging myself, learning new stuff. Um, out there, I heard there's a hackathon this weekend that I want to go to. I think it's mm -hmm. AI Kenya hackathon, something yeah, like that. Okay. Predicting ticket prices. That one, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, so I want to go for that and see how it goes. 
but I can also talk about uh, just one small thing, one project I'm doing in the office, which I'm finding quite interesting. So it's an NLP pro problem, yeah, okay. natural language processing problem. Um, okay. and, and I'm sure it's a problem other people have solved out there, but in essence, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to look at feedback that I receive, right? Um, uh, for, for example, for the Bonga app, I'm trying to look at that feedback and I'm trying to uh, classify the feedback into different categories, right? Mm -hmm. So in this case, we have people asking for features, we have people reporting bugs, we have general okay. comments. So I'm trying to classify this feedback into these different categories. Uh, so automate that process. And then um, for us, like I said before, what ends up happening is that that feedback then, uh, you know, feeds into the product itself, yeah, the development of a product, because now um, the QA guys then look at it and say, oh, look, by the way, we have bugs we need to fix, right? And then, you know, schedule that. So, so it's been quite interesting, but they're learning uh, NLP from scratch, uh, <laughs> making a ton of mistakes. Uh, getting to the end and realizing I know nothing at all. <laughs> I need to start over. Uh, so that has been that has been quite interesting. Okay, so um, you said you mentioned you're learning, you're consistently learning. Sure. So um, like what resources are you using to you know, educate yourself? Good question. So uh, I had mentioned before that with data science, there's a ton of different ways in which you can learn. You can do self-learning. Okay. So of course, guys know about the... MOOCs, I think yeah. that's what they're called, your Coursera's, your Data yeah. Camp, your uh, edX, huh? Ed? Yeah, it's edX. Nobody mentions Udemy and I use Udemy. And Udemy, <laughs> yes, and Udemy. Like you don't give me adverts on YouTube. Udemy. Yeah. Uh, but um, this is what's really uh, interesting. I am a book person. I prefer books. Okay. So I learn from books, I read books. Um, and that's what I enjoy, and I find I learn when I read books. Um, so, so that's my learning process, which is a bit different. Uh, but what I'd say is, maybe for you, you're more of a visual person. Maybe yeah. for you, you're more of a sit-down-in-class teacher, teaches you person. And so, yeah, go go for the MOOCs. Um, also, I'd say there's a ton of different blogs out there. I mean, like on Medium, there's a ton of good resources, a ton of different websites also. Uh, what I'd say is um, learn as much as you can from as many sources as possible, uh, you know, to grasp the concept. Because for me, that, that works sometimes. Like I read a book, it doesn't fully help me understand. I go to medium, etc., etc., until I get to the point where I'm like, I really understand this thing. Okay, sure. Okay. Thanks, thanks. So, um, finally, yeah? <laughs> finally, finally. Uh, uh, yeah, this is finally, finally. All right. <laughs> So, so, so just, you know, like a parting shot to the guys who will be listening. And um, do you feel like we are automating ourselves out of jobs? Um, I believe not. Uh, <laughs> okay, look, it, this is what I'd say is, um, if you're talking about the impact of AI on the job sector, yes. uh, now and in the future, I think AI will solve will probably end up solving problems that we wanted to solve. Yes. But that I mean like it will end up solving problems that right now we, we don't even feel like we want to solve, right? So yeah. it will probably just occupy a space where human beings are not even really, really interested in, in occupying, right? Blue, blue ocean. You know, <laughs> you know? Uh, that's how I look at it. Um, and also, I think that AI can't work on its own. It can't work within yeah. a vacuum. So I think the jobs of the future will be the jobs where someone manages an AI. So you manage a team of AIs, I think. Yeah. AI1, AI2. AI that's actually uh, yeah. one of the implications of the GDPR. Correct. Uh, I think um, the, the whole thing has created tons and tons of um, AI supervision managers or you know, AI lawyers and Correct. Lawyers. And just guys who are supposed to look at these algorithms and, work and say, you know what, we probably need to uh, address this kind of bias. Yeah. And there's a whole team that's built just to take care of to take that, care that, of that yeah. kind of bias. Sure. So yeah, so what's your parting shot? So my parting shot is um, 
I, I am now pursuing data science. Um, I find it really cool, really interesting. I, I think it is not just what Harvard Business Review called the sexiest career of the century, <laughs> but I think it's, it's, it's the future. That's what I think, right? And not just that, but I think that um, we should all want to be part of this future. And, and for me, you know, sometimes people ask me, uh, so what background do you need, you know, to become a data scientist? Like, like yeah. is, it, is it maths? Is it stats? You know, is it computer science? Is it, I, I don't know, actuarial? Biochemist. You know, biochemist. <laughs> like in Kenya, for some reason, people believe that actuarial guys should be data scientists. I don't know why. Okay. But anyway, for me, my, my basic, basic requirement, I think, for being a data scientist is simply curiosity. Yeah. Are you curious? Are you a curious person? Like, are you, are you the sort of person who asks questions and they ask other questions on top yeah. of those questions, right? Okay. So I think that's it. And then after that, just build up the skills. You know, learn the tools, learn the tips and the tricks yeah. to do what it is. You know, to achieve or accomplish what it is you have. So that's that's all it takes. So if you're curious out there, data science could could just be you know what what what's what's waiting for you. You know. So that well, we've had it. Eh? Curiosity yeah. actually beats the cat, kill the cat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, Nicholas Loki. Awesome. For Thanks for having me. In. We hope you know you can uh, keep coming cool. uh, over and over again yeah. in the future as things cool. change. Talking about more NLP. Yeah, NLP. Yeah. You know. So yeah, thank you so much. Awesome. Just a uh, pleasure having you. Thank you. Thank you.